Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Fear is normal. But stop worrying about it and about yourselves. Stop making plans. Forget about going home. Consider yourselves already dead. Once you accept that idea, it won't be so tough. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? Tonight on the show, we are going to have our friend, engineer, producer, musician, and all-around wonderful person, Bill Sullivan. So you'll hear some stories from back in the day, and you'll hear how he went from being a nice young man from Bucks County to moving out to California to work with the likes of Kanye West and Kid Cudi. I mean, come on. Yeah. Dude, he's so rad. He's such a nice kid. Like, Bill is such a nice dude. I can't wait to get him on. I know, and I'm really interested in his story. One, because I know him, but I don't know the story. And two, I don't know, like, the whole sound engineering thing on a very basic level is something I want to get into. So I think he'll be able to provide some interesting insight into that whole thing. Yeah, Bill's one of those people that uh, I remember when I first met him. Bill is really smart and and very, very articulate. And I remember he and I shared the bond of we're both super into like heavy metal, like not like like death, like more death metal than anything else. Um, You know, like incantation and suffocation, all the Asians, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, I think he was, I think he's very much more on the metal side of things, which is one of the things I wanted to ask him, because I don't remember seeing him at a ton of shows. So he had a couple bands that I remember him playing, like, with, but it was always, Bill was the orchestrator of everything. Bill Bill sang, Bill played guitar, Bill kind of had hired guns around him a lot of times, and then sometimes he would just, like, you know, he was friendly with a lot of the guys from Heinous Anus and stuff like that, so he would bring those guys on to kind of, like, fill in with stuff, I think. Um, But, yeah, Bill was also, one of my first real vivid memories of him was, uh, like, bonding over metal, and he was so excited to show me. Um, He wrote a paper for school about censorship in music, but his examples were things like Cannibal Corpse, um, there was a, like a weed kind of doom stoner band called exit 13. I think they mm-hmm. were on relapse for a little bit. Um, but he used like, you know, there was like, first of all, it was extremely well-written. The other thing was like, he included like, you know, clip art or not clip art, but like pictures of the actual album covers. And yeah. I remember being like 15 or 16 being like, why does kids fucking smart? Like, cause he's not <laughs> only like a metalhead, but like, he's able to talk about it well like he's able to speak about it in a way that his teacher was clearly impressed with it because i remember he got a really good grade on it too my first year of college 
I wrote a paper about Kaven's change of sound from Until Your Heart Stops to Creative Eclipses. How'd that work out? I think I got a good grade. Good. And in a turn of events, the teacher of that class ended up marrying my aunt years later. Really? Yeah. Where I, I Refresh my memory. Where did you go to college? I did two semesters at Bucks County Community, and uh-huh. then I did one semester at East Stroudsburg, East Stroudsburg, and then I dropped out. That's where Kelly went. Yeah. Makes sense. She lives right there. Yeah. All right. So, Tommy and our dear audience, you remember that I was talking about preparing for this project management professional exam, right? I recall it dearly. We've spoken about it at length beyond the podcast. Yes. Well, today... I took the test, and I have the result. Are you ready to hear this? You got me I took the exam. It was a four and a half hour exam. Oh my god! (laughs) That I had to sit for, and I could not get up the whole time. And I had to sit there and slog through this thing. And I have the result. Are you ready? I've been ready. <laughs> to hear the result of the exam. What exam is it? <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I passed the exam. Yo! <laughs> Congratulations, dude. I'm so happy for you. God damn. I can't believe it. Well, let, let me let me lay out the land for you. Let me let me cue up some heroic music here. God damn it, Gump, you're so, a goddamn genius. So, this all started, this all started years ago, actually, <laughs> back in 2016. And uh, I tried to get CAPM, which is one level below PMP. Same okay. material, you know, it's just a little less work. I failed that exam twice. I just wasn't ready to study. I wasn't ready to prepare for it. I didn't have sufficient time. There's a lot of factors at play. So in 2018, I got Project Plus, which is another project management certification. All right, so this year, I started preparing for the big one. Took the class in March, started studying somewhat regularly in the summer, and then really started grinding away in fall. And I took the exam today. It was a four and a half hour exam. You have to sit there the whole time. You cannot get up. You cannot cover your mouth. I got in trouble for doing that. You cannot write anything down. There's only an awkward whiteboard to use on the exam. And it was fucking brutal. It was like, it was like, remember when we talked to Anthony? Like, it was like sitting for that whole interview, including the prelude and the post-conversation where we waited for the files to upload. Like, the whole time, no bathroom (laughs) break, no nothing. And I was so fucking crazy during this thing. I felt like I was going to fail. I felt like I was going to fail. I took a practice exam this past Saturday, and I I did horribly. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm not going to pass. And everyone's telling me, no, you're going to be fine. You've been doing the work. You'll be fine. And I was like, no. Like, I don't want to hear these positive affirmations. (laughs) I'm looking at actual statistics that are telling me I'm not going to pass. I'm not going to pass. So I said to Romy, I'm like, you have mystical powers. Come on, help me pull off a miracle here. And, uh, you know, I pulled a lot of favors, and I asked people to keep me in their thoughts and help out. And 
I passed. I didn't know if I would. I I had no idea how I was doing when I was taking this exam, and then I clicked submit, and I saw that I passed, and I was like, holy shit, I got it. It's done. And putting away, I filled a whole no- notebook with notes, and putting away that notebook and the textbook and the pamphlets and all that shit today felt so good, and I was like, I'm done. It's done. And I feel high because I have so much free time now. And you're you're and ready I have to no fu- idea what I'm gonna do with all of it. Actually, I, I do, but you're ready to go fucking manage some projects, dude. That's what you're ready to do. Well, I'm actually getting out of that field. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> there, well, it, it's useful skills, yeah. so that's good, and it legitimizes me, and it's great on my resume. It's the top project management certification but they're sort of moving me into a new area i will still be doing project management but uh if everything works out not as my primary function that's pretty cool man yeah so not pretty done. cool that's it i'm I, i'm really you know with stuff like this i'm insanely proud of when people put their their time aside and they push themselves to that kind of limit of like what you can do and this is one of those things that like you know you did it, man. Like that's I'm I'm so unbelievably and I this sounds corny, but I'm really proud of you. I'm glad. I, I thank you. I, I I kept thinking of you in the math exam and you know how you had to take it right before you went on vacation and how you passed it and you're like, you know, it's done and I, I wanted that same feeling. Like this thing is done. All I gotta do is record this podcast tonight and then I don't have to do shit until Monday when I go back to work. Let's go fucking buy some dope. <laughs> don't tempt me <laughs> let's get let's get this fucking party started let's go <laughs> another thing yeah but during the class i think the teacher was like a right-wing guy because he he was like really fetishizing the the military and police and stuff and then at one point he used the term snowflakes during the class which uh-huh. actually really pissed me off I, I wasn't you know but i got past it and you know, he's like, oh, write a draft in your email and, you know, congratulating me for, or write a draft in your email thanking me for the class. And when you pass the exam, send me the email, like something to that effect. So I wrote the draft because I'm like, I want this thing. This is something I've never felt like I was going to be able to do. Oh, yeah. let me do this. Let me will this into existence. There you go. But then after like the right wing, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff, I was like, I'm not writing this guy. Forget it. So I go back into the draft to delete the email yeah and then i remember that this this guy has cancer like he told us during the class that he has cancer is he like terminal uh i don't remember you can have like skin cancer (laughs) you can have like a you can have like a you know a melanoma that just gets removed and then you you can have fucking like non-hodgkin's lymphoma (laughs) i think he may have been on chemo i'm not sure Ooh, that's not good but I, I looked at the email, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Like, all right, so I don't agree with this guy. And he used a term that I'm not crazy about, but, ah, fuck. Let me write him the email. So I, I like, so I sent him the email. I mean, I'm fucking happy that I passed this this test. I have this certification now. All I have to do is maintain it, and that's pretty easy. And it was eight eight months of brutal hard work and stress and driving everybody around me crazy. I I uh, I will say, or I, might, I actually had a question. So, yes. 
did that channel or communication channels question come up on it? <laughs> the one I texted you about? No, but I wrote down that formula after you texted that to me because I was like, I was like, fuck, this is one of the formulas I didn't so, memorize. I get obsessed with stuff like that when people are like, I'm studying for a test. I am have always been super interested in how tests are made, how especially standardized ones. Like, I think that's it's fascinating. But uh, as soon as Keith was like, yeah, I'm taking this test. There's a ton of like prep materials. I was like, I need to go and see some of these questions. So I literally just typed it in on YouTube. And they do that thing where they're like, hey, pause. Here's the first question. Pause the video here and we'll give you, um, you know, time to answer. And so I took 10 questions. I got a 70. But the questions I got wrong, I got two of them wrong. It was about channels of communication. And it was like a total mathematics formula. It was N times the quantity of N minus 1 divided by 2. N is the number of people involved in the project. And I texted it to Keith. And he never answered me back. And I was like, oh, no, he's pissed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you, you you did answer me back with at the first thing you were like oh, fuck. I don't even know what that formula is, <laughs> bro. I haven't I haven't been communicating with many people. I haven't done anything. But it's worth it. Now it's done, dude. Fucking it. Yeah, and now I can go back and listen to all the best albums of 2020. And my whole Spotify year wrapped is just lo-fi hip hop beats because that's what I listened to when I was studying. That's yeah. it. I destroyed that world has post rock channel when I was studying for my math tests. Yeah. Like that was this, I would just put that on and just let it, let it play. Yeah. There's so many times where I just put, you know, find a playlist and just be like, let's just do with this. Let's go with this. As long as it wasn't too loud or too noisy, I could just work with it. Well, anyway, it's done. And I already have my next projects lined up one, a new band. Well, I don't want to reveal too much yet, but hopefully rehearsals will begin next week. Nice. And, I'm going to learn a song on piano. What are you going to learn? The first song from the Smashing Pumpkins double album. I don't know. What what song is it? I don't know. It's called, like, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, I think. Oh, okay. All right, that one. Okay. Uh, The first song. The very first song on the first disc. Check it out. I have to think. Yeah, because I keep thinking about that, and it's like... I know a lot of the hits off that record, but I I don't know them track by track. So I'll have to listen to it after the show. It's a beautiful piano song. And I'm going to learn the whole thing. It's going to take a long time. I was going to say, I always learn like a piano thing. <laughs> I learn like the one part that I want to learn and I ignore the rest of the song. <laughs> so Yeah, I learn, I learn one part okay enough to like film me playing it to post on Instagram and then I'm done. <laughs> I don't even do that. I just I just do it enough so that I know it. And then um, there's a, a my classroom when I'm at, when I'm leaving my classroom to go to the parking lot. I walk past the music room, um, and usually by the end of the day, there's nobody there, so I can just go in and play piano in there for a couple of minutes. So I'll just go in and play in there. And I always kind of secretly hope someone like is like, "Hey, you're all pretty good at piano." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not though." I've had people do that to me, and it's the best feeling because I can't even play. But yeah, I want to learn. Yeah, I can't. I can play uh, the piano break, like the first thirty seconds of the piano break from um, Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and I only learned it because I wanted to. Like, I, I saw that scene in Goodfellas, and I was like, "Fuck, that's such a great part." Where like the <laughs> you know Frenchie's like getting flipped over in the dumpster or in the back of the garbage truck, and it's like that piano break starts. 
this is such a good part of the movie. And I was like, I want to learn how to play that. And it's, it's a lot of just like octaves. So I was like, dude, I can totally, I looked at the sheet music for it and I don't read sheet music. So I was like, fuck, what am I looking at this for? <laughs> like, I just need to see somebody playing it. And I went on YouTube and I watched somebody play it. And, um, I do that thing where you do the, you know, change the playback speed and yeah. I just watch their fingers and just mimic what they're doing. Yeah. That's the and, same thing I do. And I, I just do it enough times so that I remember it. Repetition is key. All right, so we're going to talk to Bill now. Here we go. All right, folks, we're here now with Bill Sullivan. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> oh, yes, it's wonderful to have you here. And you're our first guest of 2021. How does that feel? That feels really good, man. You know, it's it's cool. Like, I listen to this all the time, and listening to it like kind of brings me back to when we were like running around doing shows and stuff so it's really nice to hear all these stories when bob's stories were giving me nightmares he's like i remember being the problem in some of them oh my god <laughs> like what the the fest he did okay come on kids fest when everyone was in the office drinking the beer i'm oh, yeah. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that was me and the dudes in unearth and uh <laughs> oh yeah i remember like what was his name stan or not stan the guy that ran the place he kicked, he like came in the door and was really pissed and Bob was like, everyone out of here. So <laughs> I was always that guy bringing beer and stuff to shows, getting yelled at. And I, I apologize for that. I, I don't do that shit anymore. Yeah, me too. There were some legendary parties in the parking lot of that place. Oh yeah, definitely. A lot of legendary yeah. stuff at Polanka. Like my, my, and then there's pictures from like my christening that was at Polanka Park. So it was just like <laughs> hilarious to see that place and like know what has happened there like catholic christening it took place at palanca park i think it was at queen and then they did like the the after party at palanca wow yeah you know that's how i remember first seeing you like at church because yeah. like good catholic boys we would be at church every sunday yeah, you guys yeah. got to give the backs you guys grew up in the same goddamn neighborhood in levittown and i moved back there like what like in between my times in new york which and commuted to new york every day for months oh shit so you lived in quincy hollow too yeah, I was on, you know, on, right on the drive. Uh, we, my parents' house was like right in front of that big hill that people used to go down. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, you know, there was always something going on out front. And then uh, I guess I was like in my, my late 20s, I moved back for like three years at, I forget the road, but as soon as you turn in that first left and I was like, how did I end up? back in the neighborhood i grew up in like what did i do (laughs) i got out of there quick then i moved in with cipriano in uh brooklyn that was that was really fun uh yes i remember so i do want to talk about your moving up to new york and california and getting involved in with engineering and all that stuff because i don't know how it went down and it, it sounds like it would be a great story yeah um it kind of well you know it it started with this, the, like the scene that we were all in, you know, just doing our own shows. And that kind of gave me the work ethic, the, that DIY work ethic. I took that up to New York, started running a studio. Like I interned there for less than a year. Which studio? Um, it was it was a post-production studio called Jekko Music uh, on mm-hmm. 45th and 6th. And then when I came in, I kind of like ran it during the day. And then when everyone went home at night, I would record like hip hop records and like metal records in there and people come in the next day and be like yeah the guys on floor nine said there was all kinds of racket like i don't know what that was so (laughs) (laughs) no clue so let's talk about our early days in the now legendary bucks county scene bill uh i guess i first remember seeing you 
in womb of azor was that your first band yeah um it's funny like i was talking to my parents and they brought that stuff up but yeah i was like i think 12 to 15 i was in that band tell us a little bit about that band that um i don't even know how it started it was like i remember for my birthday i asked for my parents like there was a pawn shop that had this awesome like a bc rich warlock i really wanted it um and they're like hell no so I think the day, either the day of my like 12th birthday or something, they came home with this like brand new drum machine that was clearly like falling off the back of a truck. (laughs) And uh, I just started like figuring that thing out. Uh, At the same time, James Gannon's brother, his older brother, um, Jack, was in this black metal band called Deteriorate. Mm -hmm. So I like skipped, I skipped everything. I went straight from like Metallica to like super underground black metal. At like age 12. So my parents were probably like freaking out. Um, But this thing had keyboards on it. It had like three keyboard tracks and drum machine. Took care of like that. I just started like programming and playing stuff. Got my two friends, Eric and uh, Dan to join. And we just started playing. And I don't think very many people liked us. (laughs) You know what? The room would have like 50 people in it. And then like by the time we were done, there's like seven like people just like like what the hell was that sound with this kid running around swinging his guitar <laughs> you know what you guys were outliers in the scene i don't think people could process the uh the drum machine and the fact that you weren't just a run-of-the-mill hardcore band like anything that did not fit that typical emotional hardcore sound of the late 90s i wouldn't listen to even like you know bands like womb of azor Baz henna i wouldn't watch at the time like i was stuck on one particular sound. <laughs> and I think a lot of people were at that time. Yeah, I was the same way about like death metal and like just like brutal music. It was like that and that only. Like everything else is like not my thing. So yeah. very narrow-minded, but you know, we all grow out of that and and expand. Exactly. Yeah, Bill was like my like my friend that I was like, yo, let's go- let's geek out about metal. <laughs> I, I was actually talking to Keith about this. I remember one of the first times I hung out with you, um, we were up in your room and we were just listening to records, right? And you were so excited to show me, you had written a paper uh, for school about censorship. And <laughs> you had all these, like all of your references in the paper were about things like, you know, Cannibal Corpse albums being banned. Um, <laughs> do you remember that band Exit 13? Oh yeah, like one of my that was like one of my first crossover favorites, you know. And, and I remember like looking at this paper, and your teacher wrote like a really nice thing at the end of it, gave you a really great grade. And I'm like looking through it, and it's just all pictures of like, you know, vile the cover from Vile, or like the Exit 13 thing. I forget what it what was it like a bong or like a weed leaf. The cover yeah. was like something like it was like like heavily drug influenced things, and it was just like all these you know kind of like at the time, very edgy kind of things. And it was like, oh, shit, like, feel <laughs> <Bill> smart. <laughs> yeah. I remember I ran with that Exit 13 shit and wrote a paper on, like, they were all about hemp and, like, being vegan and stuff. They were, like, way, way ahead of the curve. Like, this is, like, 89, 90 when they were doing that shit. Wow. And, and uh, I ended up, like, writing a paper on, like, hemp and using a lot of, like, their references because they would put, like, we read this in this book, like, in their liner notes. So I'd go back and like read these books and like write these papers in school. Like, I don't even know. I did really well in school, but I was writing about all this shit. And I'm like, how did these, like, what were these teachers thinking about me? Like, this is insane. <laughs> I always thought it was funny was uh, 
when I got a cannibal, I remember I got a cannibal corpse CD from positively records in Levittown and they had a little thing at the end of the liner notes that was, um, how to contact the people from normal, the <laughs> national organization for the reformation of marijuana laws. Yeah. And I remember like, I, I even mailed it from like not near my house. So my mom wouldn't see it. And then when it came in the mail, my mom was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Why would you? And my mom threw it out. And I remember I like dug it out of the garbage <laughs> and I had it up in my room. And it was literally just like, they sent me like, you know, pamphlets and paperwork and stuff like that to be like, Hey, join our organization. And it was like, I didn't have any money as a kid anyway, but I was just like, and I didn't even smoke weed. I was just like, I was so into it. I was like, dude, corpses into it. I'm fucking into it. Whatever this is like, yeah. yeah, you know, I didn't, I have to admit, I'm completely clueless on the real metal side of things that you guys love. Like, I just don't know a lot about it or listen to a lot of it. But there was this guy who lived on my block who just seemed like the coolest dude. He drove this car that had an upside down cross sticker on the back <laughs> and he wore cannibal corpse shirts and he had like long hair and dressed in all black. And I was like, man, this guy is cool. And I would go to Positively Records and look at the cannibal corpse artwork and be like oh my god this is crazy yeah yeah man and it's funny like some some of their covers are like you can't even get the original ones anymore like like the bleeding (laughs) cover it's like so difficult to find an original copy you know what i had my mother took it away from me do you bill you remember the original cover for um god it was deicides not once upon the cross was it once maybe it was once upon the cross once upon the the cross is jesus under the sheet with the blood yeah yeah man and you would you would open it and the interior was like a bucket with like his a portion of the rib cage in it it looked like there was an autopsy (laughs) being done on christ and my mother lost her shit (laughs) like she was like why do you have this stuff and it was literally like you know it was right after that whole satanic panic thing of like your kids are going to start worshiping the devil and you know judas priest is gonna and it's like dude first of all i don't like judas priest they're corny like i I just (laughs) i never got that like when people are like i'm into metal and i'm like really and they're like judas priest is awesome i'm like I don't get it. Like I just, I, I, I remember hearing like, it, do you remember Beavis and Butthead used to play Breaking the Law? Like that was like the one thing they did like a whole epi- like a whole episode was like just a bunch of like heavier metal bands on it, and oh, yeah. they played the video for Breaking the Law, and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't heavy. Like, <laughs> when I would always see somebody with like a Judas Priest patch on their back, I'm like, dude, that guy's badass. And then I listened to Judas Priest, and I was like. Uh, I don't really, I don't like this. But in the same episode, they played Carcass, and I was like, "Fuck, dude, I'm I'm super hype on this. Like, I have to go find everything Carcass now." <laughs> yeah, that was the best about Beavis and Butthead. Like, seeing like at the gates, Carcass, Corpse. Like, there was yeah. a bunch of. I think Helmet was on there a couple times. Like, it was pretty yeah. rad. Yeah, that's where I discovered a lot of that good music through that show. Yeah, like that 120 minutes. Like I remember, it was yeah. awesome staying up super late watching Matt Pinfield and like Ricky Rackman. Like, it was oh, awesome, that's right, dude? God, Headbangers Ball with Ricky. But that's the funny part is like I remember still watching Headbangers Ball and being like, all right, like 50 percent of this is just terrible. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't like any of this. Like they would play stuff like Jackal with a Y, and you're like, yeah. What the fuck is this? This guy's fucking playing a chainsaw. I don't want to listen to this. Like, this is so dumb. It's It was like one step above Ted Nugent. I was like, I don't get this. Like, this is not what I came here for. And then they would, you know, they would play At the Gates or Carcass or um, what was the one that I remember I saw? And I was like, I, was like, I think Cathedral is on. Uh, Cathedral. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
then I remember somebody they played. Do you remember that band Candlemas? They played oh, yeah. Candlemas, and I was like, "Oh, this is awful! <laughs> like, I don't like this at all." And the video was like really bad. It was like them and out in the woods with like a coffin, and there was like all these like candles lit. And I was like, "Okay, this is clearly something that went either went way over my head, and I don't get it, or it's just not my thing." Like I just and I used to see people with shirts on like that and be like, "Really." Yeah, like, yeah, I used to see like the jacket. One of the jackass dudes, uh, Ryan Dunn, used to wear one all the time. He would wow. have a candle shirt and be like, "Dude, they stink!" Like I fucking hate that. Band. <laughs> <laughs> like, that band's terrible. Yeah, there was this thing in like the late '90s, early 2000s, when, like grind and doom bands got this like hi- super hippie influence and just started like wearing bell bottoms and like doing shit like that. And I just wasn't into any of that. And I even saw like I think one of the dudes. I think it may be Bam has like an anathema tattoo across his throat. And I was oh like, wow, man, that's some real dedication to that band. Like, cool. Yeah. Not a band I would dedicate anything to, but yeah. yeah well, I can't lie. Like, I do like, I think, uh, two, two anathema albums, but they're like older. But man, I don't know if I'd get a tattoo. Damn. <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't. I can tell you that much. I've, I don't think I've ever even heard of anathema, but all right. I'm, I'm redirecting us here. So, Bill. Were you more on the strictly metal side of things? Did were you at a, a lot of the shows, like this day forward shows and the life once lost shows and all that stuff? Yeah, like just because like our age, there weren't a lot of other like metal heads. They were like twelve to fifteen, so we just like me and the dudes that I was hanging out with naturally fell in. Like we grew up, you know, with the same people, Gary and Mike, and yeah, and all them. So I think it was just more we were all into like these extreme things that weren't normal. So we just kind of fell into the, like the hard, the hardcore metal scene in box. Um, Cause there wasn't, there was like a straight metal scene, but it was all older dudes. And it was really like traditional death metal. Like, um, yeah. So we weren't really like, except I remember we played pirates den once uh, when I was in the band upon creation and our singer, Johannes was, you know, from Africa. And there was everyone in that place was just looking at us like, we cannot wait for you to leave. Like you are not <laughs> welcomed here. And then like, I think like a month later, the place burned down. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, it was like a super uncomfortable show. We played with a uh, rumple stiltskin grinder. If you remember them. Oh yeah. That dude, Eli, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. It was funny. Like looking back at those shows, like just like all the awkward shows we played just cause like, you know, I was kind of going over this. I, I don't have the best memory. But I was like, man, we played like a lot of awkward like high school shows where we definitely like people were just like, what are these? What is this band? What are they doing? (laughs) It was so confusing. So, yeah, but I guess around 15, I abandoned that drum machine and we started using uh, real real players. Do you find that a lot of people in bands just have bad attitudes a lot of the time? Like I would play gigs with people that I knew that I've known for years and then we would get to the show and they would... They would act like they didn't know me or act like too cool. And I'm like, really? Like, we brought more people here than you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think I was the best band member. Yeah, I'm probably, I was probably one of those people just because looking back, like, I was in so many bands for such, like, weird short increments of time hopping around. Like, I just feel like some of my dedication may not have been there. But it was, like, really cool to be in those bands, and I wish I would have put a little more forward. So... I may have been that guy that was had a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still have an attitude, just about other stuff, I guess. So <laughs> another one of your bands, 
I actually saw you perform when you were in this band, Heinous Anus. Now, we've gotten quite a few requests for that demo through this site. Well, so I was never really in Heinous Anus. I did do, I used to like sing. There was like, because they had the two singer thing going. Um, yeah. I and, saw one of those and you were like crawling, you were, you were like climbing on the ceiling somehow, like upside down and doing head banging and stuff. Yeah. I used to like, you know. Just like I was a fan of Dillinger and all stuff like that. So watching those yeah. dudes do really dangerous things like got me excited. So I would do stuff like that. Um, but Heinous was like that was they were all like my good friends in high school. But they were also like the friendly competition because like they practiced at the one guitarist Adrian's house. And we practiced, I think, like two or three doors down at my friend Jeff's house who played drums. In, uh, and that's the house you were at, Tommy. Yeah. Um, so Jeff Steber, who was in Hull. Uh, the doom metal band right. i was trying yeah. to think of his name i was like i was killing i was like you know what bill's gonna come on bill no but like yeah you know what was always nice about heinous anus they were the first of all the best musicians in the area that were like technically proficient yeah and, yeah. They, and they were hammered the entire time which is why I, they were I my know, <laughs> I, there was a point in time where like so one of the times that i was kind of just blown away by watching someone play music was adrian just fucking shredding and here's the crazy part he had that memory he had like kind of like curlier long hair it was completely in front of his face he was absolutely not looking at the fretboard and just fucking shredding like sweet picking skin you know string skipping like crazy shit and i was like how is he this good? Yeah. And then you would see him fucking get wasted right yeah. after that. Like, and he was like, no, nah, I, I, I get like this all the time. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> like, holy cow. Like he was just constantly out of his mind, but just an amazing musician. I yeah, mean, man. Like all everyone in that band, it was like, that's what I always like looked at him like, Oh, we got to be better than those dudes. And like so much pressure. So like years later when I, when like John, the, the one singer and Tom, the drummer, uh, when we got together and started doing architects for broken design, I was like, I was psyched. I was like, yes, I got my dream band. Finally. Like, <laughs> so what happened with that band? Well, everything, everything I was involved upon creation and architects of a broken design are like projects now because I'm out here. Um, and even when I was in New York, it was like, we'd send files back and forth to each other um, and just put stuff together. I, I probably haven't played live in like, it's probably like 10 years now. Um, you know, we still like upon creation has an album uh, EP coming out on January 22nd. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, so like everything's still going. Architects put out an album in March uh, right before the pandemic. Tell me about this band. Cause I don't even think I heard them back in the day. Ah, well, I think it started probably like around oh oh three oh five ish, and it was like a bunch of different lineups. Um, the like we're still doing stuff now. We put out a, a album in I think March. Um, oh. It's called Total Collapse. I released it on my label. I have like a like a, a indie digital label uh, called Wreck and Joint Recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. Like, uh, so for a while it was Tom, uh, me playing guitar, my friend Noah, who, uh, I work with a lot today. Uh, he was the DJ slash keyboard player. Mm-hmm. 
we had a bass player played like a six string and then we had the two singers also we had uh john costello who's the one dude in heinous that did like the high stuff um and then we also had this guy uh named mark that was doing like low stuff but he, he was only with us for a little bit um but it sucks because like every time again we'd go to like these places we played these shows People see me come in with like a seven string and then they see like a DJ and they're like, oh, like this is some Limp biscuit bar metal <laughs> bullshit, you know? And then like, you know, half the room will clear out and then we just like rip. And like, this is one band, like upon creation and architects of broken design, they're definitely bands that I'll stand behind and say like, we played our asses off, like did everything we could. We just like, it just never caught on. Um, but, uh, we we still do stuff and it's fun because considering like I'm I'm busy doing all these like recordings out here, uh, it's nice to get back to metal and like let some th- sort of like cathartic aggression thing happen, um, you know. So absolutely, it's still my dream to somehow sing in a hardcore band one day. So I don't know, maybe it'll happen in my forties. Maybe I like every show. Like you try to start a new project too. I love it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm really trying to get something going. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot of bands going on soon. In 2021, you're gonna like that whole fest you're gonna do. You're gonna be like in seven of the bands. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. That's my dream. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I, by the way, I'm psyched about the potential audience of one this day forward uh, world tour. It's gonna be awesome. Yo, we have to make the Bucks County Fest happen potentially at Palanca Park. Yes, we got to take those chandeliers down. <laughs> no, foolproof the place. Make sure nothing happens. Like, uh, oh, I thought you meant like take the chandelier down. Oh yeah, take it down so no one can rip it down. <laughs> yeah, you no, know? Nobody, <laughs> nobody, yeah, nobody puts their fucking sweatshirt around it and swings from the goddamn oh, thing, dude. So many times, like I used to work at Today's Man, and I would get all the hangers. And so many times, like I, I got those hangers specifically for the chandeliers of Polanka because I knew <laughs> I'd be going to a show that weekend. Some like numbskull is going to jump up and rip it down, and then like one of us is going to have to climb up and secure this thing so we don't like lose the deposit or whatever. Tell us, Bill, how did you get involved in now is audio engineering and recording, producing and all that. That is your, that's your primary gig, right? Yeah, that's it, man. Um, like it's, it kind of all started when I moved to Philly. Uh, I like, I always, obviously like I always knew I wanted to be in music. So I was playing in bands and as I was getting at, like nothing really popped off. So when I got to Temple, I tried out to be a music major. Um, I, I played violin in high school. I was classically trained. Uh, so I, I was like, all right, you know, let's try that. That'll, that'll be cool. Mm-hmm. I was awful. And every kid in this audition just like blew me away. I was like, all right, this is not for me. Um, so I took a semester of doing like liberal arts. And through that, I found their communications department. And then I was like, oh, all right, you know, like this is cool. And that's kind of how I got into recording. It was like that department at Temple, um, you know, showed me like, like I was interested in audio. I just didn't know anything. Like the first time I recorded was at Skylight. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was like magic. I was like, how did the numbers get on the cables? And how, when you push that button, how does this happen? Like what's going on? <laughs> and then like at Temple, I was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, like I can do this. Like, this is awesome. Maybe this is why I was never like a good bandmate because I wasn't supposed to be in that band for that amount of time. Maybe it's just like, I do my thing and then they move on. Um, yeah. So through that program, that's where like I met my best friend Noah and, um, we met like around 19 and to this day we still work together. Um, you know, he was, he was Kanye West chief engineer for like eight, nine years 
after that, he went over to Columbia um, as a head A&R, but um, he would always bring me along on stuff. So like like I was saying, when I moved to New York, I had that studio on 45th and 6th. He started working with uh, Kanye, um, and he just needed an extra hand. Since it was my studio, I could just like leave whenever I want, record people. Um, and it kind of just snowballed, man. Yeah, Temple really opened that up for me, like between me uh, and then learning from Noah and then my friend Paul, who goes under the name Starkey. Uh, mm-hmm. he does, he's a, he teaches at CCB now, um, or CCP, uh, community college of Philly. Um, yeah. And we just kind of like figured it all out ourselves. And then like after a semester, they made us the TAs. So <laughs> I'm not sure how, <laughs> how much kids learned off us, but I was like, all right, I guess like we know something if they're putting us in charge. Um, and Bill, yeah, you, were, kinda, you finished a master's, right? I did not. My, uh, no one went for his master's. I stayed for my bachelor's and then like I stuck around Philly for like a year, maybe two years before moving to New York because um, I worked out of Studio 4 where, you know, everyone goes. And, um, you know, it was at a weird time where when I was there, we had the two floors. We were upstairs and downstairs, so we'd record upstairs. It was a huge room. It was awesome. And then that kind of got taken out from under our, under the owner's legs and uh moved downstairs and after that like i wasn't getting a lot of work so i worked at the truck for a little bit doing sound upstairs um and doing and being a bar back and it was just like you know this isn't what i wanted so i just rolled the dice i think on a monday i decided i was moving to new york and like that wednesday i was like in new york what year was that (sighs) ah i would have probably been like 22 23 it was like like i was probably 23 because it was like two years after college so it had to be like 2003, 2004, something like that. Yeah, because like I interned, I was commuting from yeah. Philly to New York for a year as an intern. And like after that year, that's when I started like taking over stuff. Um, and then production started coming along where I started writing a lot of music for uh, like Disney shows like the Power Rangers. Uh, I launched, we launched uh, Disney XD with a show called Aaron Stone. Um, so it was weird. Like I did like children's music during the day and then like brutal metal at night. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get that gig writing songs for Disney shows? How does that come about? Man, like everything that I've, I've done, I feel like has just kind of landed in my lap as I like, stumble along life. Um, <laughs> it was like a friend of mine, my friend Lisa from high school, like applied to be the secretary and mm-hmm. she didn't get hired, but she was like this. I had applied, I think, to 200 and some places out of college just to do anything audio related and no one got back to me. So I just like, I sent them my resume. They called me up. I went up there for an interview and like, they like brought me on that day. Um, so as I was interning, the Power Rangers thing came about, uh, like I think someone forgot to do their cues or like was late handing in their cues and we had to deliver. And I was like, uh, I could just like do something real quick to like cover our asses. And they're like, oh, you do that? I was like, wow, you really read my resume. Cool. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that worked out. So I, d- I did the, like one episode and they're like, oh, yeah, you really can do this. All right, you're, no, you're on the team now. And then I think I did three seasons of that before it went back to Saban. It's almost like fate. Yeah, I mean, right place, right time. You speak up and you get it done. Yeah, exactly, man. You know, And that's the same thing like with like the good music stuff and Kanye and all, it was just like, I was just there and they were like, can you do this? And whether I could or not, I would just be like, yeah. And I'd figure it out. (laughs) I think that's 
a big part of it. And that's kind of my approach too. Like with, with this podcast, I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know anything about recording, multi-track edits. I didn't know any of it. And I just learned it and figured it out. And I'm like, all right, we got to get it up by this date. So I'm going to get it done. Those initial recordings for Power Rangers, what do you do? Do you play like all the instrumentation? Yeah. Um, you just do everything. So like the way we would do it, we'd, we'd have like a team of like five different kinds of writers and it would, you'd get assigned different characters. So like I got most of the villains because I played all the heavier music and then everyone did their thing. You'd write the theme and then I'd like kind of log it and I'd have that theme. I'd have all the separate parts and then towards like the middle of the season, you would be able to take the different themes and stuff and just kind of like remix them. So you wouldn't have to constantly be writing. Yeah. And it was just like, that's how it is. Like everyone had to do everything on their own. Um, I would hire singers on certain things. Cause I would do like the source music, like the fake stuff they would listen to on the radio. Yeah. And it was basically like parodies of, of songs that were all like popular at the time that they couldn't afford. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it. Like this guy, Dan Avedan that I met in Philly, like he ended up moving to New York. He was a great singer. And I would like, I could call him up in a moment and just be like, can you come over? You come over and bang out like two, three songs. And that was that. And honestly, like that was a great thing living in New York in my early twenties. Like I was getting, I was getting paid really well. Um, so I was able to like live comfortably, have a little studio, but like also do all this crazy metal shit. Um, and like funded because like there really was no money in it. Yeah, that's the dream. Early twenties, New York City, working a good paying gig. I mean, that's it. That's everything. Yeah, it was awesome. Like you know, and it came with like certain things. I had to leave. Like, but part of the reason I left New York is like you know everything's available at all times like, anywhere. So <laughs> you know, it's like whatever you wanted to get in at any point, you could do it. And that was like a, l- a little too tempting. So you know, now I'm out here chilling. <laughs> did you have any did you have struggles now i have some well-documented struggles on this podcast oh, i Lord. got in way too deep and i had to <laughs> stop doing everything forever well you know that's good like i haven't like um towards the end of new york i was trying to stop drinking and i stopped a, I, you know i'd stop and then like a couple months go by but now i think uh february 1st will be two years so that'll be cool good for oh, you nice oh, yeah, yeah congrats you. Yeah, I'm coming up on four years of nothing but tobacco in May. Awesome, dude. I mean, that's yeah. like like you guys were saying on, on the uh, the Anthony one. It's like, you know, just take it day by day. You know, there's definitely some days it's like, man, I'd love to have a drink. But it's like, all right, I'm operating at a pretty high level. So that drink probably is not going to help me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm getting so much shit done. If I... If I have, well, you know, I quit smoking too, because even that got out of control. But, you know, if I have a drink, it's going to lead to uh, me spending $150 a day on other things. And I don't really want to do that anymore. I can't afford it. No, I was like, dude, I would look at the, like, when I would do my tax in the year, looking at how much, like, we would spend going out in Brooklyn, like, on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and it was like, holy shit, this is like hundreds, like, almost like $1,000 a weekend of just like... Booms. yeah it's like man i could have definitely paid like half my rent with that <laughs> i think th- the weekend i moved to new york circa played terminal five i think and i didn't have any concept of how ch- expensive shit was up here so we met these two girls and i was buying everyone drinks trying to be a big shot i think i spent like three or four hundred dollars in a night yeah it was that just, hurt 
I know how I know that feeling, man. Like our studio was the studio in Times Square was like right down the street from this super cheap bar. So we were just we'd spend like five, six hours in there and just like the end of the night it's like, oh this tab, what is happening? <laughs> what are we doing? You know? Yeah. One night I came back, this was a long time ago, and I went to some bar in Pendel with my sister and my brother. And I was like, how much for a Pabst? They're like a dollar. And I was like, no, really, how much? And they're like, one dollar. And I was like, I like couldn't comprehend that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild, man. Like going from like Pennsylvania to New York was like a, sh- a shock of how much shit was. And then going from like New York to LA was like, oh, it's even more expensive. All right, cool. <laughs> so tell us, how do you get the studio up and running? How does it start? Because that sounds like a, a major undertaking. Um, well, they, they kind of already had an infrastructure and, um, the way that particular studio in New York was, uh, that place, Jack, it was like a shared space. So there was like four rooms, the like control rooms and then one live room and one booth and everyone would tie in and you were just like open communication. Like, Hey, I'm going to use the, the live room Monday this time. And it was, uh, it was really cool. It was cause like everyone there did something different. So I got to learn something from everyone, especially like helping to manage the floor. Like I was in everyone's room and I was usually involved with everyone's projects. Um, so like this dude, Carl Glanville had one of the rooms and he, he did a lot of U2's live stuff. Um, so I helped do some of the, like the rock and roll hall of fame stuff with him. And it was like, it was cool to watch him work and like, just be a fly on the wall and be like, all right, that's how, that's how they do it. Okay, cool. And like realizing that, you know, you didn't need, the $20,000 mic and all this expensive shit. Like he would just have like a handheld mic out and someone would do an overdub and it sounded fine. It was like, Oh, all right. You know, like, you know, like I just learned to kind of be like, don't be so strict with the rules and stuff from him. And then like my friend, Chris was a composer. He's a composer. Um, he had a spot there and I learned a lot about like compassion and film scoring from him. Like it was just like, it was a cool spot that we all kind of like hung out in. It was a nice community. It's an existing spot, existing people, existing equipment. So you just kind of work with them and get in with them. And then they're like, hey, if you want to record something here, you can do that. It's that type of deal. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. Um, eventually, like I ended up getting one of my own rooms and um, I was doing a lot of work out of there. So like, you know, they, they would sometimes like book me to like, record string quartets or something. Um, and that's what I mean. Like we all kind of were involved in things like with each other, like besides the creative stuff, like I was also in charge of like, you know, making sure the paper was ordered for the copier and like everyone handed in their rent and all that. So it was like, it was, that was the weird thing of trying to separate that like creativity and then the like managerial responsibilities. Cause like people wanted to see you one way or the other. So it did, it, it would sometimes cause like a little friction. Like, you know, I'd be in a session and someone's like, Hey, you know, like we got to clean the bathroom. Like, ah, all right. I'll get some. I'm recording something. So, what's the first time you worked with an artist and you were like, "Yo, this is awesome." Um, let me like think. like someone that someone that you knew. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not like it's funny because like you just get so deep in it, you kind of like put on the blinders and just go. Um, yeah. There have been times where like I've been in the middle of something and then I just took a step back. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like. Like there was like, for instance, um, a couple months ago, I was in a session at Shangri-La, the spot, uh, Rick Rubin's spot in uh, Malibu. Mm-hmm. And I was working in like, the, it's called the chapel. It's like an old, it's where Mr. Ed used to, the 
horse on the TV. It used to be a stall and Mr. Ed lived there back in the day. And then they changed it into this like recording studio recently. Um, <laughs> but it's got this cool door in front where like the, it's all glass. It lifts up and you're just like looking out at like Malibu and like the breeze is blowing in. You got this like vintage, huge Neve console. And I was like, it just like clicked like, holy shit. Like I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. Like I'm, I'm sitting here with like all these, Art, like these huge artists and like they're trusting me to record whatever they're doing like this is wild you know and it was just like a f- fluke like hey why don't you come to shangri-la and just hang out oh um, wow so it was like it was really cool and i was like man like i'm definitely like not like i'm d- not religious or anything but i was definitely like i'm blessed in this this respect or, like i get to do like people's dreams or like just my like tuesday <laughs> you know <laughs> And it's like, it's weird. Like I take it for granted a lot. And then like, you know, there was like, um, like there was a Kanye show where I like took a step back and just seeing that many people focused on one man was like, oh wow, like I'm in it. Like this is wild. Yeah. So how, how do you decide to make the move to LA and when does that happen? That was, I think I, I, I tried to move to LA like three years in a row and my timeline may be off. I think it was like 27, 28 and 29 or 28, 29, 30. Um, and like one thing after definitely 27. Cause I remember like a lot of like, it was like that point when a lot of the older people in your family start passing away and like had a, fr- a couple friends pass away. So like that prohibited me that year. And then like something popped up another year. And then finally when I was 30, I met my girlfriend Marlene and, um, I was just like, fuck this man. Like, I'm moving to California. And she's like, oh, so, you know, so am I. And I was like, oh, all right. You know, this is like really early in our relationship. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and then, you know, I guess maybe a little under a year, we we just decided let's move out here. She was going to go to Cuba for six months, like right off the bat. So we decided like, let's get an apartment, move into the apartment. You know, I'll put my stuff there. She'll go to Cuba and then we'll figure it out. So how do you get hooked into the music world when you move out there? Because, you know, when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get connected and I'm going to be working with people and I'm going to be in bands and they're going to be big and it's going to be great. And none of that happened. So, but, you know, you're working with Kanye West and Kid Cudi. I mean, tell us how these things come about. That kind of all started in New York. Um, Like, basically... I kind of track it as like when I stopped playing shows in, in Philly and all, you know, I moved to New York. I really started focusing on the studio and then just like, I just worked 24 seven, you know, as much as I could because of that, people would just ask me to do stuff. So I would just do it. Um, so like I said, my, my friend Noah was uh yay's engineer and he, you know, we trusted each other. We, we've been friends at that point for, I don't know, probably like five, six years, maybe, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just start doing sessions with them um, on like a like a part time basis, I guess. And then through that, that's how I met I met everyone that I work with today. Um, and then around thirty, it was just like you know, new, we I, we all started seeing New York change. There was like that mass exodus of New York like six seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, which I was definitely part of. And it just happened that everyone moved down here. And I did like my first year, I kind of meandered around. California doing whatever. And then it was like, Oh, you know, I started doing sessions again and it just kind of took off. And my time in California has definitely been the blurriest because of just the speed of things. And like, it's a project after project after project. And it's just like a piggyback thing, you know, 
someone sees that I worked on this and then they pick me up for something else. And then someone sees yeah. that and picks me up for something else. Um, and that's kind of how like me and Cuddy started working together was I was working with, uh, Noah. I was working kind of as like Noah's second engineer, assistant engineer. Uh, we started doing kids see ghost and it just made sense. Like I had worked with Cuddy years before on a song called creepers. Um, so, you know, Noah kept recording. Yay. I started recording Cuddy and then, towards like the middle of that it just kind of turned into like okay now you want to go on tour with us like all right yeah um and then i had to make a decision like do i stay with good music um in whatever capacity i was or do i move over and focus totally on cuddy because doing both was just like running me so thin like it was just like no yeah, rest yeah. yeah you're burning the candle at both ends at that point yeah, yeah. at a rat with like blow torches um <laughs> It was just killing me. Um, not to say that like it was a bad job. Like I loved it. And, like I got to experience all kinds of like wild stuff that I would never see anywhere. Um, but yeah, like eventually I, I decided I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with you know stay over here with Cuddy. Um, and since then, like we just been rocking and rolling. And it's like it's like a dream job, man. It's like going to work and just like jamming and having fun and making stupid jokes every day. Yeah, you know, one of the most fun weekends of my life was. Uh recording my album i think three years ago with with rich taver actually all right and you know we got there we set up uh we're listening to lil wayne the carter four and we're just joking around and having a good time that that's probably like your life that's your job you show up everyone's listening to stuff working on stuff hanging out i mean there's work involved too of course but that's probably like every week for you yeah pretty much like um like the where I had the awful internet connection, that was my studio, my home studio, which is a separate building. So when I'm yeah. not in like a, like a large format studio, I'm out there. Um, but yeah, it's like, man, I get I get I get to play music all day. Like I don't know what else to say. It's awesome, you know. <laughs> it's like yeah. literally what I wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, you know, and it's very unique that like me and my best friend of like 15, 16, 17 years get to do it together he's literally the only other person that can understand what I'm going through. Like, I'm like, Oh man, this happened today. He's like, yeah, I know. I remember when that happened to me. Yeah. So it's good to, it's also good to have someone to vent to because California is like, the other thing about California is it's like a total mind fuck. Like the psychological mess that California is, is nuts. <laughs> Compared living in Calif Southern California to living in New York city. How, do, how is it different? Uh, New York is like a grind, but like, it's very similar to Philly, you know, so I was comfortable there. It's like, it's kind of like very face value. Like you say what you mean in New York and if you're not into something, you're not into it. And like out here, it's kind of like a lot of people are really flimsy, you know, it's like, oh yeah, man, it's cool. Like, oh yeah, you're the greatest. <laughs> and it's like a lot of like ass kissing. And I was like, this is not me. That's kind of the reason why I live in Long Beach and not LA. It's just like LA is very plastic i guess you could say you know and like out in long beach it's like you know what's up like people let you know what's going on yeah i i wouldn't hack it in la you know <laughs> i i'm a i think i'm a little too honest for that so you we were actually going to have you on the show last month but you were in the thick of it yes. working with kid cuddy on yeah. man on the moon three the chosen that's me yep we did it and it's out boy there are some real bangers on that Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes. Honestly, like the the music that was mostly handled by these dudes. Uh, Take a day trip and uh, Cuddy's like main producer, Dot the Genius. And like like I said, it started as a jam session. It was just like let's go and jam, make some tunes, and then you know three songs in, it was like oh, I think we're onto something. Like this isn't just yeah. this isn't just jamming. Okay, cool. And then we just kind of 
high, you know, put it in the high gear and just like banged it out every day, you know. So you're in now. You're there with everybody. You're working on it. Walk us through some of what you're doing and like what's going on. Honestly, it's just like have everything on and ready to go. Um, like the way, like my whole thing with engineering is like I kind of don't want to. I don't even want you to really notice me. Like I just want you to do your thing. Like feel comfortable. So um, yeah, I just have every channel open. I'm recording everything and just taking a lot of notes. Like when something's cool, if someone says something, you know, just keep things. So then when they're like, Oh, what was that part that we played? You know, like 30 minutes into it, I could just like quickly bring it up. And then, um, you know, if it's something to jam on, like chop it up and like, just keep going with it. Um, yeah, it's kind of just like anticipating what, what someone's going to do before they do it. Um, that's the big deal. Like there's not like a, a, a secret art to recording. It's just like hit record and make sure everything works and make sure you don't lose that vibe. You know, it's yeah. like with the way things are, like things will sound good, you know, like I've recorded on like in studios that are, you know, $3,000, $4,000 a day. And then I've recorded in bedrooms. And at the end of the day, it's like, where did the good song come from? It doesn't matter as long as it's a good song. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So are you like giving direction to like if someone's flat or fucking up, do you like stop and say, no, do it again? Uh, I'm like a little more lenient than that, but like... I kind of like let people do whatever they're doing. And if there's something that's like really off, I'll just say like, Oh, why don't we hit that again? You know, like let's get that another shot. But like for the most part, like I like, I like capturing the flaws of things. Like that's what makes shit like real. Like it's funny. Like we keep, we keep talking about this day forward and all, but on the, I think it's the first CD. There's like a part where Colin hits a cymbal and like a guitar is playing like for the next part, but you hear his sticks break and then fall on the floor. And for some reason, that's just like one of these things that always stuck out to me. Like, whoa, that was like in the moment that really happened. You know, someone didn't edit that out, but that just like made it cool. Or like, you know, like I just like hearing the flaws and things to know like that's a real performance. You know, that's that's what's going to touch me, not like a perfectly tuned vocal. Exactly. I like to hear like real moments, you know, behind the scenes stuff. That's why like... In the beginning of our podcast, sometimes I'll drop in like the bloopers or the ridiculous conversations we have with, you know, with people. There was one where like the audio dropped out uh, during uh, Jim Ward from Sparta and at the drive. -in. Yeah. And it was only Keith's audio. So it was just Jim and I talking about skateboarding for a second. And then it's just me being like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> keith is keith is very particular about this and he, all the text he sent me was my computer just crashed i'll be back as soon as possible and i was like okay yeah uh, I, I get crazy i think i'd make a great engineer because i'm fucking nuts and i'm like really particular too yeah being neurotic and, and like compulsive is a big part of it you know like i literally like write timestamps down like you can ask me at what hour we did something like two years ago and like there's a 90 percent chance i can look it up and tell you jesus i yeah. love that yeah it's like it, it took a long time to get this system going but there's like a whole number system it's like that's actually that's something the dude uh carl glanville taught me it's just like his whole labeling system like it just helps not disturb the creative flow if you got like one nerd in the room taking care of stuff <laughs> <laughs> see i love that i'm into all that shit now organization classification i've got all that down yeah. i could develop my own numbering system that sounds fun to me yeah i mean you got audacity just like do it yeah <laughs> yeah well that's what i that's my project for 2021 is to buy a mac 
and some type of recording programming get going on uh, to be able to do basic home recording. Yeah. I mean, it's great, man. Like, I love it. Oh, yes. That's going to happen. And then all three of us are going to start the next great American metal band. I yeah, can't. man. Like we'll get we'll get we'll take Tommy back to Sam Ash. Like that, that was that was something we were, <laughs> that was something we were talking about when he was down. That like my mom drove us to Sam Ash when we were teenagers so that he could buy a six string bass to be like. How long were you even in that band for? Like oh my god, a month maybe. Yeah, not not long <laughs> at all. Like dude is super dedicated, buys a six string bass, like joins a band with me, and then I was just like, ah, I don't think this is quite my thing. I couldn't. You know, did I, did I, I buy the bass off you? I forget. Because I remember buying the same bass at some point because I was like, I need a six-string bass now. <laughs> the funny story was, though, is I uh, remember I brought a bunch of stuff in. I traded it in, and I had cash. But I had enough cash to basically just buy the bass. And we were about to walk out, and your mom was like, uh, where's the case? And I was like, oh, I'm not getting one. I don't have enough money. And your mom bought me a case. (laughs) How are you going to get in the car? And I was like, I'm just going to hold it. And she's like, you just paid all this money on it. You're not going to buy another like $45 soft shell case. Like you just got to get a case for it, buddy. And I was like, I I just don't have any money. And your mom was like, I'll just get it. Just get, just, just get over there. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. She's awesome, man. Like, it's so funny. Like they were like horrified by the music I'd play, but then like would always like help out like, Oh, you need a drum machine. Cool. Here, here, here's a drum machine. That music is awful, but here's the drum machine. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, okay. So now you've worked with, uh, Kanye West, Kid Cudi. Are you ever in a session and like someone really famous comes in and then you got to like play it cool. I haven't had that. You know what? I was just talking to someone about like being starstruck and I, I, I've never really been starstruck except for once very early on. I used to love the show scrubs and I couldn't even tell you this guy's name, but like the one director, like a director of a couple of the episodes came in to the studio I ran in Manhattan and I like lost my shit. I was like, Oh my God, I love scrubs. You did this episode. And it's like, now I can't even remember his name, but that's the, like the only time (laughs) I got starstruck. Um, you know, I think if I ever was to meet Prince, I would have probably like lost my shit. But that day, oh yeah, yeah, that day never came, unfortunately. Is there anyone living that you might be starstruck by? I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, I don't know, because like I'm just such a like at this point, I'm like, man, you're just a person. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I've seen, I've seen so much. <laughs> like, it sounds super <laughs> conceited, but it's like, I don't think I'd ever be starstruck by someone at this point. Um, like definitely two people I was like one person I was super excited about was I had a session with Busta Rhymes once and he probably does not remember this at all but like that was that was pretty cool to like see him and he like gave me a pat on the back and I thought his hand went through my chest um but he's a big, yeah, it was like, he's a big so, dude dude he is he is and he is strong very strong he um played division 1 football right I think he played for fucking like Louisiana or something like that he's a, he was like a fucking uh like like a running back or something like that. He's a f- fucking monster. He's, wow. he's, a, big, he's a big dude because he's like oh he's definitely like over six foot, but he's he's fucking wide as fuck. You know he is awesome. He somewhere around 2010, Lil Wayne put out a mixtape. I think it was called Young Money Playboy or something like that. And Busta Rhymes just has this insane verse on it. It's like Busta Rhymes, Lil Wayne. I think Chris Brown is on it. Buster Rhymes just freaking kills it. 
Yeah, I mean, he's got this, the the thing we brought up at that session was the song "60 Second Assassins." That was like, it's like him, uh, one of the dudes from Bone Thugs, uh, Jazzo, and Twista, and it's like everyone raps fast, like super fast. So it's like the like technical death metal of rap, <laughs> and I, and I think that's why I was into it. It was like, oh, dude, these dudes are saying like 600 words a second. Like this is insane. Oh, I would love that. Now, see, Bone Thugs, I would be starstruck by. Come on, I tried. That's one of the fucking best songs ever. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I get when I hang out with one of them, I think one of them's on uh, what's uh, Sumerian Records. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, really. I think like I'll have to look that up, but I remember seeing like one of the Bone Thugs was on Sumerian. I was like, whoa, all right. It's kind of like Smashing Pumpkins being on. I think what are they on Rise or something? Oh, really? Yeah, like they signed to one of these like like one of these like metal indie labels. I was very surprised. But yeah, no, that was one of those ones. That was like when you were like little and I remember, uh, what the hell was it? Uh, so my, my brother-in-law was kind of the one that got me into like some like punk rock and metal and stuff like that. And I remember him giving me, um, uh, Slayer and I looked at the back and it was like, this is on Def Jam. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the fucking same label as like Beastie Boys. Like what is, <laughs> what's happening right here? <laughs> like, yeah, man. I mean, that's like, that's my dream. I was like, you know, I think that's why I was always into like bands like Handeria and Cypher. It was like that marriage of like rock and hip hop, you know? Bill, you and I have definitely connected on Candiria. I love them. Uh, they are just, they are just awesome. Top five, like insane. Like so much, so, so much of my guitar playing was just like pulled from John. And like, I just, those dudes are on a whole other level. I, I loved it. That was one of the first times I heard somebody play drums and went, I don't understand what they're doing. Like that <laughs> such a great drummer, but yeah. there was you know, like the time changes and it, it was just like, and then there would just go like into a complete like jazz fusion part. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Doug was the one who gave me, Doug gave me surrealistic madness. I think, uh, it was in like 10th or 11th grade. And Yo, I, that album, when I, when I was younger, I used to say as a joke, like there should be a hardcore band where it's just breakdowns, like <laughs> just break. <laughs> Surrealistic Madness, the first song on that record is just breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. And it's <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Yeah, man. I I I wish I could see Candaria play again, right? Like the last time I saw them play was out here. And I think I went with Vadim. Um I forget. Like me and Marlene went, but I think Vadim was there, or at least he told me they were playing. And I was just like so psyched. Like I I'm more psyched to like see them, you know, like that's when I geek out like, oh my God, like you guys were, I wish I was playing like Hellfest and everything like you were. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like I geek out, I geek out over bands we liked when we were younger. Like we talked to Nathan Ellis who was in Colask and is in Casket Lottery. I mean, Jim Ward from Sparta, like people like that. I'm like, uh, uh, you know, there's a whole, I always dedicate at least two minutes to, to like telling them how much I love them in the show. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I, I met Mike, the bass player from Candiria through kind of like through Vadim, like Vadim played. Something. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Like Vadim, I did something with him. He played it for Hornbrook and I guess Hornbrook told Mike and somehow me and Mike got connected and I was just like, I remember I was in Connecticut recording a record. I was like, whoa, like the bass player Candiria just sent me a message like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like, and that's when I get, I get geeked out. I was just like, and then, you know, we kept, we, we kept in touch like through the years, like sparsely, but it's still cool to like, know I can like hit that dude up. Yeah. Mike is very nice. I like him. And I saw Candiria, I guess it was like 
2018. And, you know, I saw these, like, really threatening guys standing up front. And I was like, oh, man, shit's going to go down. They're, like, looking around, right? And then as soon as Candiria starts, like, all five of them pull out cell phones and start filming. And I was like, oh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, like, that's the two, the 2020s versus, like, when we were coming up. Like, I would rather, I'd just be, like, spin kicking everyone. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. And I was like, oh, man, there's no more, like, good pits anymore. It's not like Philly in the late 90s. I saw one of the biggest pits break out for the second breakdown in mathematics oh and God. ever yeah. since like I, I just keep going back and listening to that song and i was like man it's so fucking good dude even the drum part in that part is fucking insane it's like, it's like you i never know where the snare is gonna hit and i'm just like oh <laughs> like yeah man those dudes like they were definitely like them dillinger mashuga like they were like everything i would like just base my stuff off of yeah Oh man, I love that really groovy, like not new metal y hardcore metal stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, Bill, this is one of those things that you have an a, a everlasting impression on me. And it was <laughs> I don't know why I made this decision until afterwards and I was like, Oh shit, that's right. I went to Bill's house and he was showing me a couple guitars that he had and you know what? No, maybe we were maybe we were rehearsing. And you showed me a, a guitar that you had, and it was a saber body. Uh, okay. Been, oh yeah, not, I still have it. The it was like uh, like a metallic blue, I think. Was that the, the? That was my RG that got stolen out of my my Jeep my Jeep Cherokee. Oh okay. Um, and then I you I bought a saber to replace that. But yeah, like I still have the saber. I still play it. I love it. So I bought a Ibanez s twenty one twenty x like with the antique violin finish and i remember he, the guy was like we have this in a saber body and i was like yes yes <laughs> i'm getting this and then i was like why am i obsessed with this and i got home and i was like oh, because sullivan's got one <laughs> that's how I, I remember seeing it being like how is that guitar so thin that's fucking insane and it's it's 20 Plus, years later, I still have this thing still sitting in my house. Like, I, awesome. I saw all my other guitars that I, I sold, I, I kept that one. That's, I mean, yeah, I like, I think, yeah, all the, the like, my longest running guitars are probably like my two Ibanezes. They're just nice guitars and they play so well. They just, they, and it, that one has like the kill switch on it and the, you know, yeah, like that had, the, did that have the two, the two jacks on it? Yeah, it has the two dual inputs. Yeah. Mm. The Pezo switch and you know, like the artificial acoustic thing. It it's a fucking great guitar, but it's also one of those ones that like I see other people playing it and they're like you know playing like Dragon Force and stuff. Oh, yeah. on it. And like, total, huh. That's a total Dragon Force guitar, like all that progressive like Viking metal stuff. <laughs> yeah, I see like, people playing that. It's like oh, these guys are like real players. And then I get on it, I'm like chung chung. <laughs> chug 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 <laughs> it's like I, I feel like such a loser having it i'm so bad at guitar now like i have to like sit there it's funny because i have like fucking like 10 guitars i have to like sit there and like figure stuff out now like and i just think like man when i was 15 i could just fucking rip like what yeah. happened <laughs> yeah i i have not played guitar since 2018 i think and Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I had a band practice in February, and that went okay. And I think I've got another one next week, so I'm going to have to 
I'm going to have to get my shit together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I still play guitar every day. It's wild, but I'm just not as good. It's it's unfortunate, but, like, and it's funny, like, I had friends, like, you know, when I had all the pointy guitars, like, man, when you're 20, you're going to get an SG, and, like, sure enough, like, I got an SG, and, like, when you're 30, you're going to get a Strat, and, like, sure enough, I got a Strat, now I'm playing, like, a lot of clean stuff. It's, like, everyone just mellowed out. Oh, yeah, big time. I know <laughs> I have. Yeah. Plus, you know, I've got a family now, so it's, like, I can't play Meshuggah necessarily or Kanduria in the car, so I gotta uh, I gotta find something more chill. Yeah, I that's another plus. Is like I drive alone a lot, uh, so I just get to rock out. It's awesome. That's my favorite thing in the world. Like when I when I would be on a work trip, and I would have a long drive, driving and listening to a podcast or blasting music is one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah, it's like. It's like, well, that's also like the benefit of having a studio at home. It's like, I love going in there and just blasting shit. It's just like, you know, get it out at the end of the day or like play some drums along with, you know, some Sepultura or something just to like get the aggression out. Oh, uh, yes. That's like a beautiful workout slash meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's funny, man. Like it's wild that like metal so aggressive and all, but like generally the dudes are super chill and like the music like kind of calms people down like you know it's cool yeah like i i'll walk down the street and i'll be blasting all else failed or something and i'll feel the electricity running through my body and imagine hurtling myself into somebody and i'm like i feel i feel rejuvenated yeah it's beautiful i love like and it's it's so funny like no one not a lot of people know all else failed out here and like every time i play them like these dudes sound like crazy like they're just running around i was like yeah they that's pretty much oh, yeah. what they do. You know, like they are, they're like flipping off shit and punching people. And I was like, it's pretty cool. And uh, I think the one dude's a cop now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he lives in Southern California somewhere. I think. Oh, Luke does live out here. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow, man. I always awesome. think it. Whenever, whenever somebody talks to me at like work and they are like, what is like the, what are like shows like? Cause you know, I, I've posted things from like, this is hardcore and stuff. And I'm like, that's, ah, you know, it's a little bit more, um tame than what it used to be and they're like what did it used to be and i'm like i always open with uh i I show them the clip from all else failed playing um palanca park and luke gets up on top of the the pa and he starts reciting lines from rambo and he goes it it might be over johnny just might be over the flip yeah (laughs) and he does the flip into the crowd <laughs> chris penny's playing like the the drummer couldn't make it and chris filled in from dillinger like it was fucking insane people are like how did people not get hurt i'm like oh people got hurt, hurt. a lot of people got hurt <laughs> oh my <laughs> god like in the bathroom like would literally just you would walk into the bathroom like to go to the bathroom and like there would be three or four people in the mirror washing blood off their face like yeah. broken noses somebody got their cheek split like you know that kind of shit like was every day like that yeah. was that was every show and they were like why <laughs> I, was like, I don't know it's just how it happened man like i remember like luke would always like grab when i was in heidnik we'd play with all else felt sometimes like luke would like wrestle with john williams like the, the singer from heidnik and like they'd be like beating each other up it's like in the middle of a show it's like oh okay no they're they're friends it's cool like <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you were in heidnik uh, but I was briefly in, yeah, this is like where the band whore thing when I was in Philly, like I was in Heidnik, uh, like maybe a year. It was like right after nothing came out and right before the songs, uh, the brotherly love, uh, thing came out. Ah, 
Yeah, so that was cool. Um, I like I really enjoyed that band. Like that was that was really fun. Like my parents were like horrified because my dad grew up in Philly, so he knew who Gary Heidnick was. Oh yeah. Um, and they were just like, and then I think Max came to my parents' house, and my mom was just like, "This this dude has way too many tattoos. <laughs> I don't like this at all." Da da da. But you know, I think uh, I think she came around to him. Like he was he was such a rad dude. And we lost him a couple years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So like, and that was like, I felt like I felt awful. Like it, it's like, I, I feel like I always start talking to someone and then get involved with the project like out here and then lose touch. And then I find out they pass away, you know, a year later and I'm just like, oh man, like was that project worth it? And like, that's like the downside about being out here is like, you just, you give up so much of your personal life and like, you know, that's just kind of how it is though. And you know what? In your position, I would be okay with that because to me, the work is everything. Like whatever I'm creating, uh, it gives me s- most of the happiness in my life, whether it's the podcast or the band a few years ago or what- whatever project I'm involved in. I mean, that's everything. Yeah. I mean, that's, every project I go into, it's just like, you know, I kind of try, I try to put everything aside as I can and just like completely focus on it and like dive 110% into it. Um, cause it, you know, it really shows like, I definitely know the records that I played on where like, I was like half-assing it and like, I hear it and I'm just not proud of those records. Um, yeah. and I'm just like glad that, you know, they're smaller records that, you know, it's not such a, a negative mark on my, on my, you know, my career. So you've worked with Kanye too. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of, Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, honestly, dude, like I, I was in a much different position than like most of the world sees him. And like, no, no, was much, much closer with him and part of his every day. Um, but I mean, like, you know, I learned a ton. Like I learned like the one thing you can't deny is like the dude was like the best at what he does. Um, and just like watching him just chop stuff and the the memory on him, he'll like remember shit from like like what was that beat from that email like months ago and he'll like be within like half a bpm of the tempo and it's like how did you remember that like there's what? an old <laughs> there's an old clip of him showing i think it's a painting that he actually did he has that synesthesia thing where he when he thinks about music he actually sees color and and like wait like wavelengths like he thinks about music in a very different way and i I remember the first time I heard uh, through the wire and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's such a great sample. It's, but it's him. Like, you know, he, like the whole story behind is he got into that car crash. Right. And his jaw yeah. was wired shut. And that's why he, you know, he's literally like doing the entire track with yeah, his spin through the wire. Yeah. yeah. His jaw is fucking wired shut. Um, and it's like, it's just such a great song and so personal. And I was like, damn, dude, this guy is unbelievable. And then I had a roommate in college who, um, he got college dropout. And I remember he played it over and over and over again to the point where like, I, I know some of the lyrics to those songs just through sheer repetition. It wasn't like (laughs) I put that record on all the time. It was just like my roommate would not turn it off. Um, there's a track on there called family business, which is such a fucking great track, but it's like, it's one of those things where he took a really small piano sample and looped it. 
and it just it just works perfectly like it's it's one of those things where it's just it, as soon as you hear it it's it's like when i used to hear jedi mind tricks and i would hear them use like orchestral or operatic samples and it was just like a small part of it but you would hear it and you would go that is amazing i could listen to just the beat like i could just like i could listen to this instrumental and be totally fine with it like that type of you know i don't know what you call that like composition like that it is just it's beyond me because essentially like what people do is they take things and they they reorganize it in a way that make something completely new and it's just I, i'm always in awe when people can do shit like that yeah i mean he's the master of the chop it's just like and it's like it's not something like a certain piece of gear is gonna do it's just like that's how he sees it or hears it and i mean i i don't know how he does it like it's just like he messed around with it for a second then all of a sudden it's like oh that's something like that's something big you know um and he, I think the one thing, like, I definitely learned from, like, working with him was just, like, how hard I can go. Like, I was part of the team when we did, when he did the, uh, the five albums in five weeks. Um, and that was just, like, that was so grueling. Like, but, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, there's parts of the record, like, of Kids See Ghosts I don't really re- remember recording, but I definitely did record it. And it was just, like, <laughs> you know, you kind of, like, zone out and black out and you're so focused that, like, you leave like your body, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was a tough five. I only took four weeks. I think I didn't do the last record. Um, Mm. but it was like, you know, still four weeks every day, like all day flying around, going to different studios. It was like, it was intense. And if you would ask me like, could you do this? I'd probably be like, no, but just because I was kind of thrown into it, it was like, all right, you know, I definitely got pushed to do that. And now I know it is possible. So, yeah, like I have moments like that at work where, you know, you have to work seven in the morning till 10 at night. And if I'm sitting here right now thinking about it, I would tell you like, no, I can't do it. Like I can't do it. But once you're in it and you're doing it, you do it. Oh yeah. It's just like, it's insane. It's like, I can't even, I don't, I don't even know any stories to tell you at that point of that, like, session just because things were going so fast and it was just like do 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 um you know like we were literally finishing the record while driving to the release party like it was that tight it was insane yeah because when you were working on the kid cuddy album you know you're like oh we're working on it till x date and then i saw a post on brooklyn vegan like a week later like hey the album's out now it's like oh shit they they push it to the line yeah, I mean, like, I, that's kind of how a lot of stuff goes now. It's just, like, because of technology. Like, at least, like, back in the day when you had, like, reels of tape and shit, like, you had to get stuff in, like, a month in advance. And, like, the, yeah. the pressing plants had to press it up. Now it's just, like, you upload it and you're done. Um, exactly. You know? So it's, like, you can – you do have that extra, like, time to get stuff done. Like, even myself with, like, my smaller projects, like – it just happens to like, you know, you're going through it and there's always that one thing you want to change and you change it and you just keep going to the deadline. Just got to do what you got to do and make, make the song what it's supposed to be. So that's got to be a lot of pressure. You're rolling with Kanye West and Entourage going from studio to studio and, you know, you're on duty, you're recording, you're working five albums in five weeks. Do you ever think like, oh, fuck, like they're going to figure out I don't know what I'm doing or I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna fuck something up or something's going to go wrong. Yeah, I mean, like, that's I think that's part of, like, my anxiety and all the, the, like, mental crap, but, you know, and that's part of what makes me as, like, 
makes me do what I do because like I'm worried about that stuff. Like all through yeah. closing up the the uh, Man on the Moon three, it was like I remember I had this dream that like I forgot to hand in the record, and it was like it turned <laughs> back into that classic like dream where you have when you're a kid you forgot that one class the whole semester and now you got to do the final and it was <laughs> yeah. just like i woke up in like a cold sweat like oh my god like okay I, I didn't forget to turn in the record it's okay um isn't that so funny that our brain does that that happened to me i took this really hard certification exam today and sunday night um i had a dream that i i was late i didn't log in to take the exam on time my desk was caked in this stuff that i didn't clean off and it, you know it's just like it's just like that you're, you're late for high school and you don't have your homework dream again yeah it was the worst man like i felt i was just like i was so terrified and i was like oh yeah. my god thank god so like when release day came out i was just like so relieved that it was completed and like everyone you know liked it so it was great yeah it's a great album folks if you haven't checked it out yet kid cuddy man on the moon three the Chosen. I finally got to sit down today now that this exam bullshit is over and catch up with some music. This is one of the records I listen to, and it's awesome, and I recommend it. Ah, thank you. Bill, thank what's you. your thoughts on the what's your, what's your new thoughts on the Playboy Cardi? I worked on it. I did. Um, what did I do? <laughs> what was the song called? Meta, Metamorphosis. Um, so it's a track that Cuddy's on. So yeah, so it was cool. It was cool. It was like, it was like, and that was you know we just kind of did it guerrilla style. Like it just popped off. It was like. Let's do the song. Like, all right. I just like ran over there, you know. Uh, that one, I live kind of far from him. So I think some, someone else did record it. And then um, I touched up the mix. And then, uh, yeah, like it's out now. It's like I didn't even realize it, like, it was out on Christmas. I was like, oh, my God. Like this is out. All right. <laughs> you know? Is there like – this is right where my mind goes. Is there like an underground L.A. life you could get involved with like – you know, cars driving to secret clubs and drugs and uh, after hours type stuff. Dude, I wish I was look. I've I've looked for it. You know, like I always like everywhere I go, I look for like you know like some some semblance of like the scene that we came up in. Like, oh, it's got to be in New York, and like I never found it in New York. It was like, and out here, yeah. it's like I ne I found one place down the street. Actually, my girlfriend found it down the street from uh, where we live. That. I don't even know what this building is. It looks like an abandoned parking lot and like a boarded up building. But like she was going down the street and she called me up. She said, you should come down here. I came down. It's like this metal flea market with like metal bands playing inside. I was like, well, where did this come from? Like, I mean, I'm like on the border of Long Beach and Compton. I did not think this like existed here. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was like, it was, and it was like super old vintage, like metal, like actual metal tees that weren't like $300 at like some LA thrift store. It was like, oh it was so, so <laughs> Dude, rad. I, I, was like, I, oh. I follow a couple people on Instagram and they sell like vintage t shirts. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool because like there was a couple times where I was looking for like older things. Like I wanted a, what before these even came out, but like the disembodied re like re you know what do you call that repressed some of their old uh uh t-shirts and and sweatshirts and stuff i was looking for one of the original ones and i was like dude i want this one it had the old alien logo from if for you know if god only knew the rest were dead and i found a bunch of these things on instagram and i started being like oh this is great and i remember i had an old um i had an emperor shirt that was a long sleeve and it had the album work from anthems to welcome or to welcome at dusk and i was like dude i 
I want that. And I went on their website, two hundred and eighty five dollars. Oh my god, dude. Oh <laughs> my god. I see so many shirts that like I had in middle school and like maybe the beginning of high school that are like astronomically priced and like what? Like I got that like out of the back of a magazine for like twenty five dollars. You know, like oh. So Bill, tell us what's coming up and what we should check out that you're involved with. Uh coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm doing something with Vadim, I think in like two weeks. I don't know what it is. Um, so he's going to send me some stuff. So that'll be cool. And then, um, like I was saying, upon creation, we have a EP coming out January 22nd. That's my, uh, my death metal band with my friend, John Sands and Johannes Habtu. Uh, yeah, so that'll be out and that's cool. And I don't know, man, like just looking forward to 2021 being chill better than 2020, man. You know, hopefully these vaccines don't like turn us into world war z or anything i really hope not and i hope we get back to some semblance of live music and regular life because i really miss it and uh i'm ready to go back yeah definitely man like as much as i love being home and in the studio like i gotta break out and of course i think yesterday our stay-at-home orders were extended indefinitely so that's gonna that's that's exciting you know Yeah. <laughs> this is the fucked up part. It's like there's everyone's being told to stay home. Entertainment industry is considered um essential workers. I don't know <laughs> I don't know why. Like I'm definitely like I get it, like it's great that I have this job, but like I am I really essential? Like I don't think so. Well, Bill, I think you're essential and I just want to say thanks <laughs> for coming on the show. You know, it was really good to get to catch up and uh and hear about some of your history because I didn't know a lot of it. Yeah, man. Like, I, dude, I'm such a fan of this podcast. Like, anytime, like, I'm, I'm like homesick, I'll just like listen to it and hear these like Bucks County Philly accents and just feel <laughs> feel super awesome. Like, yes, there's my people. I love it. You know. Um, yeah, man. It's it's just like so good that like, you guys are doing this and like bringing like I feel like there was something special back then. And everyone's like, you live in the past. Like, nah, man. Like, I've never seen anything like the scene we grew up in and. You know, I wish more people knew about it. So it's great that you guys are telling people about it. There you have it, folks. Bill Sullivan. That was a very fun, very awesome discussion. It was great to catch up with Bill because I haven't seen him since... Me and him and Vadim hung out in L.A., I think, a year or two ago. And I didn't hang out with him a lot when we were young. So I didn't know a lot of his story. I didn't know a lot of the bands he was in. Uh, So I always love getting that portion of the story as well. Yeah, dude, he's he's always been such a solid dude. And he's such a nice person. And I think a lot of what he glosses over in the, the, at least when we were talking to him, is like, He's a fucking machine. He works super fucking hard. And uh, he's like, oh, I was just in the right place at the right time. It's like, eh. Uh, Bill busts his ass, dude. Bill works hard. There's a reason people keep hiring him, and it's not because of luck. Like, yeah, look who he's working with. Yeah, dude. He's he's no joke. And it, again, unbelievable that like all of these people that we have on this podcast came from like 40 miles. Like not even. Like the 30 miles away from each other. He grew like, – Bill lived in the same neighborhood as you what, <laughs> four blocks away, five blocks away. Like, yeah, it's fucking unbelievable. Like you could have walked to his house. 
He said uh, the the sh- torn apart show at my parents' house. That's the only show he's ever walked to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then that's the other thing. I was actually I didn't bring this up, but you guys never went to despite living in the same neighborhood. You guys never went to school together, right? Because you went to Catholic school and he went to public school. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah we should have hung out. It just never happened. You know, there was too many people and. Um, he lived in the same neighborhood as me. We almost started a band, actually. Me and him and Chris Rogie. We're, well, we were taught... We didn't almost start a band. We said we were going to, and then we never did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a lot of those conversations before. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. only me that bails. I'm never the person <laughs> that's like, yeah, you know what? We should do that. Like, I, I get super excited when someone gets excited about stuff. But then there's also a part of me that's like in the back of my head. I know like, I'm never going to do this. <laughs> and I was always the person clinging on and trying to make it happen no matter what. And it just never happened. I, I just, I don't know. I think I lost that passion for, I think a lot of it came down to kind of like what you said with like, you know, with your last band is like the coordination of getting everybody in the same place at the same time. Um, and working with people that, you can work with. I mean, literally like it comes to like, are these people functional? Like there's sometimes like, you know, people would treat band practice as like party time or like, Hey, let's hang out. It's like, no, that's I look, I have to be at work in three hours. (laughs) If I can get a band working, how plaque marks does it like they, they send parts back and forth online and they show up and everyone just has to know how to play shit. And then they rehearse, and then they go out and do it. If I can get a situation like that going, I'll be in a band again. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just has to know what they're doing. It has. They have to make it very easy for me. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the other things is like with being in a band with other people, you you consistently have to like do that like negotiation of like being in social aspects with them as well, and it's always kind of like. I don't do well with that, especially if someone's like a pain in the ass. Like, I'm yeah. I just, I, I can't help but Like I can't hold my tongue and be like, look, I'm not going to not address this. You're a dick. Like stop being a dick or stop showing up drunk. <laughs> Remember how we were talking about our top five Pennsylvania bands? Yes. Matt S, our friend sent us his. Are you ready for his list? Oh, yeah, Let's go. Number one, blacklisted. Oh shit. Yeah. Number two, all else failed. Yes. There you go. Number three, Ink and Dagger. We love them, of course. Number four, Turmoil. Number five, Mother of Mercy. I don't think I've ever heard Mother of Mercy. Are they good? I don't know. I've never heard them either. I want to check them out. Yeah, because I've never heard them. It's one of those things that, like, there were so many bands. Actually, you know, it was really funny. um, that, That whole pile of show flyers that Doug dropped off, uh, I kind of have been slowly but surely like organizing them and kind of putting them in different piles and kind of just putting them in folders to be like, all right, these are ones we've already used. These are ones we haven't used. And yes. uh, it, it's really funny. It's just to see those lineups and you're like, there's one that's uh, it's like punishment, Kensington, New Jersey bloodline and something else. And I'm like, 
that had, that had to have been the fucking scariest show. <laughs> like, just show up and it's just every dude is fucking rocking some type of jersey, mesh shorts, Air Maxes. Like, you're getting you're getting kicked in the fucking face at that show. I'd be like, standing way in the back for that one. It doesn't matter. They would yeah. fucking run over the crowd. They didn't. <laughs> Their, their object was to cause as much damage as quickly as possible. Like, I'd be like working the door. <laughs> I'd be helping work the door. Oh, I would do the stage potato thing if I was friends with anybody. <laughs> like, let me just stay on the stage. They can't get up there. Oh, they can? Fuck. There was something else that we were going to bring up, and it was uh, – I, oh, I wanted to bring it up. We, I don't know if you want to even talk about this, but it was funny. It was like I, I was texting with um, Ed Hewitt, the dude that's like a fan of the show. And he always is constantly giving us like feedback. It's awesome. But uh, he's like, I, I was going through my Instagram and it said, you know, it was like Mikey Miles. And, and it was like Ed Hewitt. And I was like, oh shit, Ed follows him now because of the podcast. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me just give you a little backstory on why we follow this dude. <laughs> he's like, his first question was, who's Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> I was like hilarious. Let me just explain this. <laughs> she sold him Herbalife, and he was a stalker. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What the hell do you guys have him? What the hell do you guys have me following?" I was like, "Just enjoy the ride." Yeah, just just every like wet spinach and fucking getting fired all the time and workout videos. Just it's it's a fucking just strap in. Yeah. It's it prepare yourself for the worst. Well, I just want to make this short because I'm fucking beat, dude. I'm like still reeling from that exam and I'm exhausted and I'm fucking tired of doing things. So we need more Apple podcast reviews. If you like the show and you listen to us, subscribe to us and throw us a review on Apple podcasts and uh, we'll read it on the air. You know, good, bad, doesn't matter. Send it to us. Yeah, dude. Here's the best thing is like, even if you're like, you know, telling us like, uh, you know, I'm thinking like last week's thing, like, hey, we really like that impression that Keith did of uh, that tool song that was funny. Yeah, like, more of that. Okay, cool. We'll we'll prep it. <laughs> like yeah, if, if you like it, we'll do more of it. All right, that's it. Thanks everybody for listening, and until next time.